Hello, friends, and welcome to the Now and Zen podcast. This episode is sponsored by the Goo Goo Sleep Company and by Dream Drive. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. Hello, everyone. This episode, my guest is someone who has interviewed hundreds of world-famous artists and celebrities, so he finally gets a taste of what it's like to be interviewed from the other side of the microphone. Guy Perryman is an award-winning British radio broadcaster, DJ, voice actor, event producer, and writer who has DJed for royalty, including His Royal Highness Prince William, interviewed rock royalty, including Sir Paul McCartney and Sting, and was the world's first person to DJ live on board commercial airline flights for Virgin Atlantic Airways. Guy Perryman has lived in Tokyo since 1990 when he arrived as a DJ for the launch of Virgin Megastores. And for 25 years, Guy has been the host of numerous programs on Tokyo's InterFM and currently hosts The Breakfast Show weekdays from 7 to 11 a.m. This episode, we discuss so much what it's like to interview world-famous celebrities, the power of music, his frustrations with Japanese media and celebrity culture, an interesting story about his early attempts to introduce J-pop to the world, and finally, he introduces a beautiful new Christmas song he mixed with the British duo The Watanabes and their song Christmas Hummingbird. And as a Christmas present to everyone, we will play Christmas Hummingbird as the outro to today's episode. The song should start around the 45-minute mark, so please enjoy. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Guy Perryman. Hello everyone and welcome to the show. My guest today is Guy Perryman. You may not know the name or the handsome face, but you most likely have heard his amazing voice. He's been a top-rated radio DJ at InterFM for 25 years and a much-sought-after voice actor. In addition, he's an event producer and a writer. Guy Perriman, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for the invitation. Lovely to meet you again. Thank you very much. How does it feel to be on the other side of the interview mic for once? I'm a little nervous. I don't know what to say. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. No, it feels good. It's going to be interesting. I've got a beer in front of me, so I'm already happy. And uh, you can do all the hard work, so I'm feeling good. I'll do all the heavy lifting, and you just come with your witty array of answers. We'll be perfect. You've DJed for royalty, including His Royal Highness Prince William, interviewed hundreds of music artists, including Sir Paul McCartney and Sting, and you were the world's first person to DJ live on board commercial airline flights for Virgin Atlantic Airways. But before we get to all that glitterati talk, let's go right back to the beginning, and how did your Japan journey begin? I was DJing at Virgin Megastores in Sydney, in Australia. I'd been living in Sydney for seven years, and my boss from Virgin Megastores came up to you one afternoon and said, hey, we're opening a Virgin Megastore in Tokyo, and we need a DJ. Do you want to come out for a couple of months? And I was like, there's a very simple answer to that question. 
He said, you've got a couple of days to answer and you've got a month to pack your bags. And I was like, well, it's yes to both of them. So I literally packed up my bags. It, I, I, it was, in a way, it was a slightly difficult question only because things were going quite well in Sydney and I was planning on moving back to London. So I thought, okay, am I going to start a new life in Tokyo? But he said, look, you're only coming out for three months and then you can go off and do whatever you want. I was like, okay, perfect. This is my stepping stone to get out of Australia and head back to London. So I said yes, packed up my bags and was here a month later. Virgin Megastores, that was in 1990? That is correct. September 1990, opened the first store in Shinjuku. That was a huge store, I remember that. Yeah, it was really fun. We were in the, uh, well, the first store was in the basement of Marui Department Store. But it was a really exciting time. It was fun. You opened the first Virgin Megastore in Tokyo. Did you ever meet Sir Richard Branson? Yes, I met Richard, I think probably the first time, actually in Australia. He used to come out a lot to Australia back then, and then he came to Japan a lot when we were here. He loved coming to Japan. I can't say I was mates with him. Yeah. In business, he's one of my idols or influences. Yep. Is he as outgoing and amicable as he seems? Yeah, I think exactly what you see is what you get. People have asked me that question a lot. They're like, what's, you know, what's he really like? Yeah. And like I said, I'm not mates with him, so I, I don't know the real, real, real. Sure. But yeah, from what I've seen, yeah, he's always friendly, always very enthusiastic. And I think the thing that I always liked about him, which I think is an interesting thing about successful people perhaps, is he's curious. He always asked questions. He always would look around and see what... He was always very aware of his immediate environment. And I think that's a really interesting thing about often successful people. They, they, they seem very aware of Agreed. what's going on. And they also make every single person that they speak to feel like the most important person in their life at that moment. Exactly. I would love to meet him. Oh, totally inspiring. Absolutely. I'd like to meet him again. In fact, it's my 30th anniversary in Japan, and I'm looking at trying to interview some people from my past, and I'm trying to retrack him down to see whether I could get him back on the radio or not. I don't know whether... He seems like the type of guy that would do something like that. I, I hope so. I hope so. Unfortunately, because there are no more virgin companies in Japan, obviously he's got other things on his mind. But uh, who knows? Who knows? And I think, you know, this year being... 2020 being such a unique year for everybody, putting a positive spin on business, on the airline business, obviously. So he might have some interesting things to say about how he is dealing from a business point of view. Cool. You've been a DJ for 25 years, and you have interviewed hundreds of major names in music, Sir Paul McCartney, Sting, Ed Sheeran, Coldplay, Charlie Watts, Alicia Keys... Gwen Stefani, Nile Rodgers, etc. The list goes on and on. Hundreds. Do you ever feel nervous or get intimidated when interviewing these world-famous artists? Great question. There's a little twinge of nerve when I'm on the way to an interview or perhaps on the way to the studio or perhaps just a few minutes before we're about to jump in, whether this is going to go the right way or not the right way. But the second you start, it's all smooth sailing generally. Once you start chatting with someone... People love, hopefully, they love talking, and you put them at ease, they put you at ease, yeah. and you do, you've got so much to talk about. So once you, once you dive in in the conversation, all that stuff disappears, and I, I find it's literally just me and that person. I don't think about anything else in the world. You're in your own bubble. How much do you prepare before each interview? Probably not enough. <laughs> do you do the, pre the preparation, or do you have a, an assistant who gives you some questions to ask? If, it's, if I've set up the interview and if it's with an international artist, I would do it all. If it's a, with a Japanese artist, then the label or their management will give you questions because they always have their own agenda, for want of a better word. 
<laughs> or, or handlers. Yep, exactly. And that's actually, it, it, that leads on to another point, which is interesting, because if I interview anyone from overseas, they never, ever ask the questions up front. They never need to see them before you do the interview. All Japanese artists and all Japanese labels and management want the questions a couple of days before yep. you do the interview. Exactly. And I'm like, well, the person doesn't know what they're going to be talking about. I guess, obviously, they want to make sure you're not going to say anything or ask anything offensive. Of course, they want to scratch some things off the list. I know what you're talking about because I've done interviews regarding my business, and they always send the questions up front. Where that stems from is they don't want, people don't want to sound dumb. And they want to prepare and have a really good answer. So for the magazine, for the radio, it's content. I think you're right. You know, there's two sides to the coin, two sides to the story. But equally, a conversation, often the spontaneous moments are the ones that are way more interesting. That's true. You know, when you go off-piste and the, the, the person you're interviewing will say something or give you an answer, which is quite surprising, perhaps. Yeah. And you're like, wow, that was great. I didn't see this one coming. Then you can go way off on a, on a tangent. Mm-hmm. Those conversations, are the, they're, they're the interviews I love. Speaking of which, who surprised you the most? Ah, this is such a difficult question. So many, so many. I think the people I probably can't remember their names offhand right now because there have been so many amazing people I've interviewed, but the people who really surprised me are the people who are not particularly famous but do amazing things with their lives. There was a, uh, a woman I interviewed, I think she was Scandinavian and she lived in London. She was actually a doctor. She, she was a medical doctor, but she was also making music. So she came to Japan as a musician, but her actual real trade was she was a doctor. Wow. And, but she, what, what was fascinating, and I didn't know this about her until we got on the air, she was using music and studying how music it has healing properties and how music can be used to heal the sick, physical and mental. That and, is interesting. Yeah, and just, so the interview went you know, completely in a different direction because I thought she was just a pop star yeah. coming to Japan to do a live show had no idea about this incredible background she had and what she was really doing behind the scenes. And that was fascinating just because I'm really interested in the, the power of music and the concept of how music has such a power around all of us and how sure. music can be used yeah. to heal. So that was, I love those surprising conversations. Anybody famous that surprised you? Paul McCartney was very casual. And I don't mean that in the wrong sense. I mean it in, in purely the friendly sense. He was just, everything was totally cool. His manager actually phoned me in the morning. We, we were supposed to do the interview live on the air. It actually wasn't face-to-face. It was a telephone interview. He was backstage at Tokyo Dome during his sound check when they phoned the radio show live. But his manager phoned me in the morning just to say, you know, hi, I'm Paul's manager. just want to make sure you and I chat first. And he, the first question he said to me was like, do you speak English? And I was like, uh, my name's Guy Perryman. Uh, yeah. you know, I don't have a Japanese name. Right. <laughs> he said, no, just checking because Paul McCartney did an interview the day before, which was a bit of a challenge because the person... Uh, hosting the interviews English wasn't fantastic so they, right. they struggled a bit okay. so the, the manager just wanted to check that the interview was going to be cool in English and I said yeah, yeah fine but I asked his manager I said are there any no-go zones with the interview because I tend to ask that before I interview people because yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not a hardcore journalist I'm not out there to, to get at people I want to talk about the good stuff in life but I don't want to avoid the honest conversation you can have with people but anyway uh, his manager said no nah, no nah, you can talk about whatever you like whatever you want even the, even the time he got arrested at Narita Airport I decided to avoid that <laughs> <laughs> you know I just thought you know what um, and he, he's talked about that yes, he before has. and I thought yeah I did think about it but I thought you know what I don't really want to talk about someone being locked up in jail I think let's talk about the good stuff in life <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah you never find yourself as a fanboy 
uh, speaking to some of these famous artists like no, that? No, I do, I do. And I, yeah. I do interview people who I'm a huge fan of. Um, and that can be disappointing too. What do you mean? I don't want to give any names, I don't think. But I try not to go in where one of us is better or higher or lower than the other person. Yeah. Or, you know, you're an amazing musician, I'm just a schmuck. Or I'm an amazing DJ, you're just coming on my radio show. And that's one thing I've noticed about a lot of media, I think, well, everywhere around the world. Often the radio show or the TV show, the interviewer, mm-hmm. the spotlight is on the interviewer and not the interviewee. Really? I find this a lot, and I think there's a lot of ego involved. There's ego involved in what we do, of course. You know, I've got a massive ego, and you have to have an ego to, yeah. to, to, to do what we're doing. But if you are interviewing someone, you want the spotlight to be on the person you're interviewing. Exactly. But I think often the, the person who has the show, it's my radio show, my TV show, I want my gags to be really funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so often, it's often about setting up the, the situation where they've got a good gag or they've got a good comeback line or... I don't know. I just I, I find often the spotlights on the, like I said, on the interviewer, not the interviewee, and I find that a little odd. I I, I love to give the spotlight to the person sure. I'm interviewing, and it's like, yeah. you know, my God, you know, you've lived this amazing life. Let's talk about it. Likewise, and I think also trust. You know, one thing, as I said earlier, it's it, you know, I'm not a hardcore journalist trying to bring down the person I'm interviewing. Right. So I think if you, and one thing I've found actually a unique thing living in Japan and interviewing yeah. in Japan. When these international artists come to Japan, the barriers are down a lot. I think probably more so for British artists because the British media can be so ruthless. So I notice the artists are so happy to be in Japan. They're having such a great time here. I'm probably one of the few people, non-Japanese people, that they'll get to meet you know, sure. in, like in, in media here. So we don't have to have a translator. So they can have a little bit more of a, a you know an yeah. easy, fun conversation. And if I make them feel comfortable and relaxed, then you get a lot more out of the... Definitely. The conversation. And that was actually one of my questions I was going to ask you. Do you get a sense that many of these stars open up a little more when they are in Japan? Absolutely. Definitely. They're much more relaxed. They're having yep. a good time. They're really happy to be in Japan. I think for them it feels almost more like a holiday than work. So the conversation tends to be friendlier and not so much business. In Japan, people tend to kind of let their guard down a little bit. Maybe yep. it's the language thing. Maybe it's the... Maybe it's just because Japan is so exotic to some people that they just feel like, I mean, their senses are wide open, therefore their response or their feelings are wide open, maybe. Yeah. No, I agree, totally. Do you have a killer question that you would like to ask all your guests? That's changed over the years. I, mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't call it a... I'd, I've always tried to come up with a killer question. <laughs> that's, you know, that's really hard. And again, back to Paul McCartney. Um, when I was told I got the interview, I was like, oh, my God, okay, what can I ask him? You know, really, what, what can I ask him that no one's asked him before? And I did a little bit of research, but I thought, you know, wherever I go, whatever I look at, there's going to be another question, another question. I was like, yeah, he's answered all these questions before. So I thought, let's just sort of roll with the dice and see how we go generally. Recently, though, the thing that I find very important to me personally, which is what I would like to discuss with most people, is, again, the power of music how music is a very powerful force in our lives. Yeah, but for them, it's a pretty important question. Yeah, and I get great answers from musicians. It's funny, you know, sometimes musicians are like, oh, uh, I never really thought about that. And I'm like, oh, okay. Some musicians have said, oh, there's way more important things in my life than music. And I thought, that's interesting. Because I'm not a musician, because I can't make music, I don't write music, read music, I don't play an instrument. I'm a very, very frustrated musician. So I guess I always want to get to the essence of music, and that's why I love to interview the musicians about music and how it hits our soul in such a special way. 
Aside from working in radio, producing music, voice acting, event production, writing, and the Guy Perriman Black Card membership. You have so many interesting things going on in your life. It's like your creative kaleidoscope is always twisting. Is this just how you're wired or is it because there are so many opportunities in Tokyo for proactive, positive, and creative-minded people like you? Great question. Uh, I would say, number one, I was wired this way. As a kid, I would sit in my bedroom every weekend just tinkering away at something. I used to write my own magazines, sell them to my family for five cents or five P a piece. That's what Richard Branson did. <laughs> there you go. Um, but I, they had to give them back to me and I had to resell them because I only made one copy. <laughs> um, Wait a minute. That sounds borderline yeah, illegal. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've always just loved doing fun stuff and creative things. Um, I, I, I love writing. I love just tinkering away, like I said, with creative things. And so I've always done that. Discovered radio when I was about 16 years old and just fell in love with radio. Um, that just kept on going, became a DJ through radio. That got me on the air. That got me at Virgin Megastores. That got me to Japan. And I can still luckily do all these creative things here in Japan. So, you know, I think Japan, like for all of us, there are always interesting opportunities for people in Japan. When you were first starting out, did you make mixtapes by taking a tape recorder and waiting for your favorite song to come on the radio and using the tape recorder <laughs> to actually record through the, the speaker of the stereo? I did exactly that. You know, a little old cassette recorder yeah. with a microphone on it. Make radio shows in my bedroom, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Again, force my family to listen to them. That's good. No, I did the same thing. <laughs> you did? Yeah. And here you are doing this? I mean, you and I, we have a lot of things in common. Yeah. Uh, aside from the fact that we have 68 mutual friends on LinkedIn. Oh, there you go. We've also lived 30 years in Japan. Yeah. I used to be in voice acting, so I was a narrator in Tokyo for many, many years. You still got the voice? You're not doing that now? Not anymore. I, ha I have a real job that keeps me very, Don't very busy. <laughs> Who wants a real job? <laughs> yeah. Did you enjoy it, doing the narrations? Yes, because that's the other thing we have in common, is I used to be a DJ, radio DJ as well. I'm from Seattle. And unfortunately, I didn't work for KISW 99.9, The Rock of Seattle, which was the really cool and hip radio station. Uh, instead, I worked for a radio station called KCAT. 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 Yeah. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that when I was in university. So I, always, I was always comfortable around microphones. Um, I liked playing music, probably like you, mixing music. We had the old uh, eight-track tapes in, uh, that had yeah. the ads on them. Yeah. And I worked with turntables. <laughs> And all that kind of stuff. Records bumping while you're on the air. That was yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what was the question? Who's interviewing who here now? Oh, I don't know. I want to keep interviewing you. Why aren't you doing radio today? Because you've got yeah. a real job. So we have a lot of things in common. Yeah. That's what it was. Um, we have the, the years in Japan. We have the narration work. And we have the DJ work. So it's, it's odd that our paths haven't crossed more often. Not very often. No, you're right. We, we have some mutual friends in the real world. The, the Goo Goo Sleep gentlemen. We bumped into each other at a Goo Goo Sleep sleep-in. Yeah. One of the sponsors of this podcast. There you go. And I'll actually tell you, uh, I have a Goo Goo mattress and I absolutely love it. So there you go. Free plug. <laughs> yeah, I have one as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. No, they're amazing. Damn comfortable. Yeah, they're very, very good. We all know getting a great sleep is important. And this is what Goo Goo is all about. Super comfortable mattresses at very affordable prices and delivered to your home for free. They back up their best sleep ever promise with a 100-night money-back guarantee. Learn more at gugu.jp and enter the coupon code ZEN for your 20% discount. Goo Goo. 
Better sleep, better you. But I like to offer my unsolicited business advice to some of my guests. So I start thinking about it, and I'm like, wow, what if they did this, or what if they did that, these type of things. So I have a couple of ideas for Guy Perriman. I love this idea, and you know why I love it so much? Because we all need mentors. We all need people that can help us through business and, and whatever it is. I agree. That's one thing I find in Japan I don't have, is really good mentors. So mm. fire away. <laughs> okay, now, now you're putting the pressure on yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> As Richard Branson says, business ideas are like buses. There's always another one coming along soon. <laughs> this is a two-parts idea. So the first part is pretty basic, so don't just poo-poo it. This is the Guy Perryman DJ Academy. And this is doing an online DJ course. And you have the reputation and the PR avenues to be able to get a lot of people into your online DJ course. It can be just learning how to DJ from a computer, how you do segues, how you interview guests, everything related to being a DJ, you have an online course for it. You call it the, the DJ Academy. The second part of that is you start your own online independent radio show or channel or whatever it is. So everybody who graduates from the Guy Perryman DJ Academy they automatically get their own time slot on this radio show. Japanese, they love to learn new things. Yep. So having an online DJ course and then having an internet radio show that gives them somewhere to conduct what they, what, they, what they learned. That's my idea. Great idea. And let's be honest, everything I've done is a fluke. I don't think I can, I don't think I can train that or teach that. I certainly have some things I've experienced and learned over the years, for sure. I have done some training, and I worked with a couple of media academies here in Japan, and okay. they wanted to have some English language radio broadcasting elements to their, their media classes, so I was brought in to do that. And that was really exciting. I really loved it. I loved sharing that knowledge with young people who were, you know, right. how, how I felt when I was 16. And as I said earlier about having mentors, I think it is such an important thing for anyone and any age. Totally I still agree. need mentors. I still need someone to go to for advice and say, look, I've got this idea, I'm struggling with this. Someone who might be in a totally different business but can give you some really solid advice. And I think that's so important for all of us to have mentors in life. They're the people that can totally change your life and your destiny and make you appreciate the talents you have or stop wasting time on the ones that maybe you could be steering somewhere else. And, yep. um, you know, best thing I was ever told when I was probably about 11 years old, the school teacher who said, your, this is your life. You can go anywhere you want. You can be anyone you want. You can do anything you want. For an 11-year-old kid to hear that from a school teacher was just really cool. But she made us all, all of us, the whole class, not just me, she made all of us feel that our life could be whatever and wherever we wanted it to be. And that was just something, it's, so, it's just so to seed. Yeah. It takes a long time for those seeds to grow. But it, at 11 years old, it was like, wow, that's kind of cool. Okay, well, I'll think about that. You know. Did it give you confidence? Oh, I can't remember really, you know, so well exactly, but it certainly gave me, it certainly gave me a new way to look at life. Perspective. Of, yeah, I just, I didn't have to just follow. And like I said, my parents never said I had to do anything. I was always allowed to choose my own life and career destiny, and I'm eternally grateful to my parents for that. But it was, it was good for a teacher to say, take the road you want to take in life. Love it. 
Well, lack of confidence kills more dreams than lack of ability or talent. There you go. Back to your interesting idea oh, yeah. about the business idea. I've actually almost done it in a way. We met, we bumped into each other maybe at Las Chicas many, 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 many years ago. Yes. And at Las Chicas, I, I was DJing for Virgin Megastores. It was actually just before I started working at Inter FM. And I loved living in Japan. And this is actually the same problem today. It has not changed in 30 years. I love living in Japan and I do not like Japanese media. You don't like Japanese media. Yeah, there's a long, long... I could go what, on about yeah, that. Yeah, but what, is that, what does that mean in a nutshell? You are, you are in Japanese media. I, I am. I think it's very narrow-minded. I think it's very short-sighted. And that, that's a very broad statement I've made. You know, I mean, sure, sure. I, I'm, I'm generalizing here. Sure. And I'm, I'm generalizing by saying how much I love living in Japan and how much I don't really appreciate the media here. Right. I think there are some fantastic television radio programs. I think Japanese entertainment, you know, I think, you know, movies and film writing, the cinema history here is incredible. You know, of course, writers and books and right. there's an amazing culture of entertainment. But I think current modern media, television and radio, social media, you know, everything's dumbed down. Media has for so long in Japan been such a industry that people looked up to that, you know, if you are on TV, if you are on radio, if you're an announcer, if you're a voice actor, it's almost like you're a, a celebrity. And so there's this reverence paid to the media. You know, and I don't like celebrity culture. You know, you mentioned the word celebrity and the fact that, and this is global, this has nothing to do with Japan. You could ask a young person, what do you want to do? They'd be like, you know, I want to be famous. No, well, actually, no, what do you want to do to get famous? Which actually brings me back to Japan, the, the concept of talent and people who are TV talent. Talent with air finger quotes. <laughs> exactly. Okay, I don't want to be mean to people. But again, I get frustrated that there are people who are really looked up to. But I'm like, really, what is your talent? You go on TV and you talk with authority about something. I'd rather interview a musician about music because you're a musician rather than chat with someone just because you're famous right so i get frustrated with the sense of you know celebrity culture fair enough back to your interesting idea working at djing at virgin mega stores to cut okay. a long story short loved working for virgin great company tons of fun and we had 30 stores in japan was djing in shops which was fine and fun but i was djing in a shop I wanted to broadcast in media, and I, I, I was very frustrated with Japanese radio because it's so limited. Japan hasn't had a radio culture right. like the West, you know, without the car culture and driving and all those sorts of things. You know, there's a very limited radio culture in Japan, which is always just a, a drawback for me right. in this country. Very few options. So I thought, you know, what can I do? I want to be on the radio. And I couldn't really work on the radio because my Japanese was, was terrible and still is not broadcast level. So I thought, you know, what, what can I do? So with Virgin Megastores, we created a, a cable and a satellite radio channel so we could broadcast from one store to the th 30 stores around Japan. Yeah, I remember that. We brought all the DJs into Tokyo, so we set up, and that was, it was great fun. It was like creating a little mini radio station. So we had a bunch of DJs here in Tokyo. We all broadcast live from the Shinjuku yeah. store, Tokyo store, to all the stores around Japan. And through that, I discovered about satellite and cable radio in Japan. I was like, yeah. open this Pandora's box. I was like, oh my God, Yusen has 600 channels. Right. Now, 99.9% .9 of them are just music channels, but they have some radio channels. Yeah. And they took our channel on so we could distribute the channel around Japan to the Virgin Megastores. Cool. Virgin Megastores were only open in the daytime, so we had nothing on at night. So we used to repeat the programs at night. 
And then I was like, hey, this is interesting. I, I said to the, my boss at Virgin, I was like, how about if I get some DJs together and make some radio shows? And we put those on at night. Right. So the daytime is Virgin Megastore Radio Live. And nighttime, I get a bunch of other DJs doing fun stuff. And he was like, go for it. So we did a deal with the, the cable radio channel. I set up a tiny wee little studio at Las Chicas. And oh, that, that, that we've come full circle. <laughs> there, we go. there you go. <laughs> back, here we go, 25 years back. Yeah. And so I had this tiny little booth and we actually had DJ training. So for yeah. some people who, like music lovers, I knew. I knew kids who were amazing music lovers or had amazing collections of music, maybe DJed in clubs. But I was like, you know, you've got to make a radio show. And they're like, really? And I tell you. So we had some training courses. We had all sorts of people came out of the woodwork. People like yourself who moved to Japan, maybe did a bit of radio in college. And they're like, oh, my God. Yeah. So we turned it into a, like a college community radio station. So we couldn't pay anyone. Yeah. But everyone got a one-hour show. My idea was to hopefully expand and move into creating my own radio station. But just as that happened, that's when InterFM offered me the breakfast show. And that takes up a lot of your life. Yeah. So I had to, you know, things moved and things changed. And I, I reached a point where I could either, selfishly, I could either run my own radio show and control my own life yeah. or I could run a small community radio station and be responsible for 30 other people and I realized I'm not a businessman I like the creative side that's the fun part yep. if I could have got an amazing business manager to run the show brilliant and that just didn't happen so what's the interesting thing with really creative people and again I'm just generalizing here typically they're not very good at monetizing their creativity yeah hands up here I am <laughs> <laughs> Yep. And I think a lot of people need managers. It's very easy or easier for some people to see how you can monetize what you do. I'm working with some incredible creative people at the moment. These people, like exactly as you said, very creative, create beautiful art in different mediums. Yeah. But they don't know how to sell it. And okay. I love coming in and saying, oh, my God, you guys, this is so good. Let's do this. Yeah. And I reckon it could really work. And they're like, wow, we never thought about that. You actually have an official title attached to your name. It's Guy Perryman, MBE. And I had to look that up. Yeah, it's not an MBA. I'm not very smart, unfortunately. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Perhaps it's better if you explain what MBE is and means. It's uh, an honor part of the British honor system. So the queen or the, the, the head of state, wherever you are in the Commonwealth. In my case, the queen uh, every year gets, well, actually twice a year, her birthday and at New Year. She receives a list of names from all people around the world saying, I think this person should be honored for something. They've Wait done. a minute, so the Queen isn't Googling uh, no, British no, expats so. around the world nah, and all the know. cool stuff they do? I wish she was, yeah. So, <laughs> so. Somebody, um, somebody sends someone a message and then the ambassador here in Japan sends that message on to Her Majesty and then she either approves or disapproves. Um, I don't know who's ever been scratched off the list, <laughs> but um, she approved. And so in 2017, I was very, very shocked to receive a phone call from the ambassador here in Japan to say, hey, Guy, um, would you like to go to London and um, would, you, would you say yes to uh, getting a, an honor from the Queen? And how can you say no to that? Probably the, the yes answer to that question was faster than do you want to DJ at the new Virgin Megastore in <laughs> Tokyo? <laughs> well, it was a more shocking question, let me tell you. I had, this came way from out, you know, yeah. left field. So, Do you put that on your business card? I did after a period of time. 
I, I give the business card to Japanese people, and they're like, oh, Guy Perryman Umbe. What's, is that, how do you get a name like that? It's um, my so, African roots. <laughs> exactly, there you go. MBE stands for Member of the Order of the British Empire. Yeah, I know, fancy that. Yeah, not to steal any of your thunder, but it's the third most prestigious order of the British Empire well, from award. the bottom up. There, there's a long way to go to the top yet. There's, there's the commander, <laughs> yeah, there's, and then there's the officer. And you keep on going. There's a few more after that. So I'm, oh, I'm way there? down in the bottom rung. So What is it going to take for you to be knighted as Sir, <laughs> Sir Guy Perryman? Oh, jeepers. Uh, I'd need to ask a sir that question. You've got to do something really, really amazing. Are I haven't given up yet, though. <laughs> How is your Japanese? Terrible. How can that be? Uh, I said earlier I'm the world's laziest person, and it's actually true. I, stupidly, I came to Japan. Is this on mic or off mic? It's on, on mic right now, but rec- if you want, I'll let it No, you it can out. put it in. It's true. No, it's my biggest. Um, I have two big regrets. I have a bunch of, no, lots of regrets in life. Lots of, you know, people say I have no regrets in life, and I'm like, really haven't lived. I got, <laughs> right. I got tons of regrets. But um, one was not learning a musical instrument. And the second was not learning Japanese when I first arrived in Japan. Okay. But when I first arrived in Japan, I was told I was here for three months. I was going to go to London. So I was like, yeah, yeah I'm just having a good time. I'd- yeah, but that, that was 29 yeah, years and, and nine I months know, ago. I tell you. <laughs> then I just started making excuse after excuse. I did go to a Japanese school for about three months. All right. And one thing, this is no excuse. I, I, I will not make any excuses for my terrible Japanese. Yeah. But one thing I wanted to be in Japan... I wanted to be a good broadcaster first, and not a Japanese, not a good Japanese speaker on the radio. Sure. I had to think about what am I, what am I doing in media in Japan? Right. Why am I doing media? And it comes back to again, I didn't want to be a talent. I didn't want to be on TV. I was only interested in radio because I love music yeah. and interviewing people. And I was brought on the radio specifically as an English-speaking broadcaster. Mm-hmm. We live in a huge city that deserves to have a lot more media. And this comes back to my point earlier about how I am disillusioned by Japanese media. There's very few opportunities in Japan for people to expand media. I mean, you couldn't start a radio station in Japan if you tried. Why not? Ministry of Communications, um, I won't mention any names, but advertising agencies who control everything in this country. Could you do an internet radio show that's that's independent? You could, but not a music program because of licensing. Japan is one of the only countries in the world where you cannot listen to Japanese radio outside of Japan. So I'm on Inter FM here in Tokyo and actually across Japan. I get emails all the time from people overseas saying, hey, 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 I can't access your station overseas. What's wrong? Oh, it's blocked? Yeah, yeah, no. Japanese Ministry of Communications will not allow Japanese radio to broadcast outside Japan. Wow, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and if you say why, I can't answer that question because I've been trying to find the answer to that question for years. That's what's very frustrating about the media here in Japan. Again, it's very close-minded when there are so many opportunities, especially now and as well, what was supposed to happen with the Olympics, with the spotlight on Japan right. and with tourism booming in Japan. And yeah. let's hope this is all going to happen again in the future. There's a you know, massive interest in Japan, and yet the media, the traditional media, is not really embracing that. And animation and, and cuisine and Yo, there's no, so yes. many things that you try to export. Why wouldn't yep. they do music-related stuff? Exactly, exactly. You know, this is, I, I agree with you. The, you know, manga, animation here, the film industry is doing incredibly great stuff overseas. Hugely popular film festivals around the world, Japanese film festivals all around the world. Fashion, of course. Yeah. You know, the, the, 
young kids around the world look at Japanese fashion. So, you know, Japan has done amazing stuff culturally. I don't think Japanese are very good at selling themselves, and that's a cultural thing, which is, you know, fine. It's, there's no blame, but I think this is where the government could, to, could do a lot more. I think this is where Japan guilds, for want of a better word, bringing all these groups together, but someone at the top of、yeah. the group working out how to sell our group globally. I had this very argument years and years ago about J pop. And I remember going to the record labels. This is way before the K pop boom. This is way before a lot of things happened in the world. But I went to a lot of the record labels here and I was like, look, you know, I, I would love to do it. Was, I was doing the in flight program for Virgin Atlantic Airways and it actually was a J pop show. Cool.、But、we did it in English because Virgin Atlantic likes to do things a bit kind of weird. So、sure. they're like, well, let's just do the J pop show in English. You, you do it, guy. And I was like, okay, fine. So all these passengers, all these Japanese passengers are flying on Virgin Atlantic going, oh, listen to the J pop channel. They're like, oh, it's in English. That's kind of weird. But they're like, oh, well, I'm going to London. So I speak a little bit of English. This is kind of、yeah. unique hearing a J pop show in English. So we liked that juxtaposition. But I went to the label. So I was like, look, you know, I've got this little J pop channel on Virgin Atlantic. Let's try and expand it. Let's do、yep. a, a radio program here in Tokyo and you try and broad it, broadcast it overseas. Or let's sell Japanese music globally. What can I do? This idea would be. Accepted 99.9% of any country that wants to export a little bit of their culture, and you're probably assuming that this is a slam dunk. There you go. And they all said individually, every label, pretty much, or every person I spoke to the labels all said pretty much the same thing we're not interested in selling our music overseas. And I was dumbfounded. I was like, I can understand you concentrate on your domestic market, of course. Sure. You're making J pop for Japanese kids. Opportunity、totally、cost.、Fine. You have two billion people around the planet who are currently interested in what's going on here. Right. That's a lot of music you could be selling. Did they give you a reason why not? I think the answer pretty much was we're just focused on the domestic market. We don't really have the resources to go global. Japanese labels back then probably didn't have offices overseas, they weren't part of global affiliates.、Yeah. Sony Music, they weren't part of CBS or Columbia. So I think it, you know, they, they thought they, they were local. Yeah. Labels who thought locally. And then 10 years later, you see what happens to K pop. You know, K pop is massive around、yeah. the world. And I just was like, you know, Japan, you missed the boat. Yeah. In this story, as with a lot of industries, Japan is very reactive. They're not proactive. Japan is very risk adverse. They assume the negative or they assume the risk versus assuming the opportunity. And so they wait for somebody else to、Someone、do else it. To do it.、Yeah. But oftentimes it's a little too late. Yeah. And I was so disappointed because I, but I thought, you know, what I love about Japan is what I want to sell to the world. No one overseas knows what's going on in Harajuku. And that's what I wanted to sell to the world. Luckily, the world took notice and it happened. And I'm like, yay, bravo to Japan. So it, it has happened, but it, it took a long time and it could have happened、oh, faster in a different way. With all the famous artists that you interview, do you collect anything from them? Like an autograph, a photo, or maybe keep their used can of Coke <laughs> or something? <laughs> I've thought about that one. You know what? No. We always get a photo together.、Okay. I, I, I think I have a photo of nearly everyone I've interviewed. There are a couple missing for various reasons. But no, I never ever, I was never a. I was never an autograph collector when I was a kid. Funny thing is, though, I collect billions of other things. When I was a kid, I collected everything. I've got postcards and matchbooks collections and, you know, matchbox cars and a train set. And Some of those matchbox cars might be worth a lot today. Oh, I've got a whole stack of them. Lego, you know, I've got Lego from 
You I still have everything. all these I got things? everything. I haven't chucked anything away. It's amazing. Yeah, I keep everything. Did you bring them with you to Tokyo? No, this is in storage. So I need to. I need a slightly bigger house to sh- shovel this stuff in, which is next on my agenda. Well, I just kept all these things because I loved them. You know, I loved my, my toys when I was a kid. And I, I remember becoming a teenager and then I moved out of home. So I actually left all this stuff in my parents' house. And then years later, it was shoved into storage and thought, I just can't throw these things away. I still love them. I just want to play with my toys. You know, happiest memories in life, you know, you can live. Yeah. What do you collect now here in Tokyo? Oh, nothing physical. I've stopped. I, I don't need objects. I don't need things anymore. That, and that's, well, two reasons. One is obviously here in Japan, we live in tiny wee boxes. So I don't need any more stuff. A number of years ago, I came up with the idea with presents and gift giving I said to my family, I don't want any more stuff. Don't give me yeah. things. I yeah. want experiences. So whenever we can get together, that's what's so valuable. If you just take me out somewhere. Take me to yeah. a park. Take me to dinner. To whatever. But don't send me gifts and presents and things. It just clogs up your house. We chuck them away years later, and yeah. it's more landfill. And I just thought, I'd no more stuff. So now, what do I collect? I don't know. Life, memories. And I think it's about creating I've shifted my brain into a different zone. I'm actually feeling like a kid again recently. And mm-hmm. I say recently in the last two years where I really love creating again. I love getting down and writing and these music tracks that I'm trying to create. Because right. again, I'm not a musician, yeah. but I'm working with producers and musicians and it's just so exciting to create. Extremely stimulating. Yeah. Extremely stimulating. You were talking about the power of music, but the power of creativity, which is maybe related to music, of course. But I mean, that, that feeling of progress of something new exactly. is so addictive. Yeah, exactly what you say. You, you're creating something new. You, the process itself is really interesting and fun and absorbing mentally and physically. And you've got a goal and you end up hopefully with something yeah. to share with other people. Whatever it is you create, whether you knit something, whether you make music whether you build a house, I don't know, whatever it is you create. It's such a joy when it's finished at some point where you can share it with people. There are so many cool Japanese words that don't really have a direct translation into English. Do you, Guy Perryman, do you have a favorite Japanese word that doesn't have a direct English translation? Genki. I've always loved the word. It was probably one of the first words I learned. Because when you first meet someone, they're like, Genki, 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 yeah, Genki. And I immediately loved it. Okay. Because it can be fun, it can be happy. It's a greeting. Yeah. It also has a meaning. So it's a purely, for me, a frivolous, fun, lovely word, which I don't think there's really an equivalent in English. It depends on the context, right? Would you say to someone, you know, happy? Yeah, Yeah, happy. Yeah, how are you? I'm happy. And it can relate to... People will say to me, Guy, you know, we're having a, a party. We want Genki music. Mm, like, yeah, gotcha. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Genki, it's a fun, funny word I love. Is there anything you want to talk about that I haven't asked you or any announcements? Hey, when's you... this going on the air? About a week. Merry Christmas. I have a Christmas song. Okay. I have a Christmas song. I need to sell it to you. Now, I'm very, very proud of a piece of music that I've remixed okay. for two brilliant musicians here in Japan. They're actually British brothers. Duncan and Selwyn Walsh, who call themselves the Watanabes. They made this beautiful piece of music about four years ago, and I loved it, called Hummingbird. And I used to play it on a radio show all the time. And then I was playing it at Christmas time, because to me it just sounded a bit Christmassy, had a bit of a Christmas vibe to it, even though it wasn't a Christmas song. And I said to them earlier this year, in early 2020, I was like, hey, you guys, what do you reckon if we do a remix and make it sound a bit Christmassy? Change a couple of the lyrics, 
give it a bit of a Christmas vibe. Oh, here's my other favorite Japanese word, fuinki. 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 Atmosphere. There you go. Put a bit of Japanese, uh, put a bit of Christmas fuinki in this song. Some strings and a choir and bells and whatever. Yep. And they were like, yeah, let's do it. Let's go for it. It took us a number of months, and their brilliant producer, David Norton. We got an incredible composer and writer, Nicholas Buck, who scored the strings for us. And literally about a week ago, this song was released. And I am really happy because it's the most beautiful piece of music for Christmas time. And I want everyone to listen to it this Christmas. Where can they listen to it? It's on every music platform right now. It's been released on all platforms. It's on you know, Apple, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify. My radio show, by the way. <laughs> what's, the, what's the title? So if somebody wants to search it, how do they find it? The group are the Watanabes and the song is called Christmas Hummingbird. I, think, I really think these guys have written a Christmas classic that I'm hoping will just end up being played season after season. There you go, there's my free plug. But it's actually for those guys, because they wrote, they wrote this piece of music that I couldn't stop listening to. And I was like, again, about artists. Two musicians who didn't realize how amazing this piece of music was. And I was like, yeah. hey, you guys, yeah. this is the most be- beautiful piece of music I want to sell to the world. Amazing. Guy Perryman. Yeah. Cheers. Ah, oh, cheers to that. Yeah. Thank you very much for your time today, man. It's been a lot of fun. <laughs> this program is brought to you by GuyPerryman.com. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And Goo Goo Sleep. <laughs> and Dream Drive. There you go. <laughs> and that was Guy Perryman. Please check out the show notes for links to his website, GuyPerryman.com, where you can find all the information discussed on today's episode. Now, without further ado, this is a wonderful new Christmas song from the Watanabes, mixed by Guy Perryman. Here is Christmas Hummingbird. If I were a hummingbird, I would cross the sea and I'd fly to you. Sail across the open fields, land upon your window and sing for you.
Oh, my love.